We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Monday, December the 2nd, 2019. On today's show, I break down South Carolina's 38-3 loss to the Clemson Tigers on Saturday afternoon. Also, a bunch of staff shakeups, including Jeff Dillman, Brian McClendon, Dan Werner. Also, some roster updates with Jake Bentley, Sidarius Hutcherson, and Shai Smith. Men's basketball beats George Washington 74-65. I'll break that game down as well. News and notes to get to your listener questions and voicemails, as always. And we have a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks offensive lineman, John Strickland, and I know you're sure to enjoy. Before we get into everything, this is a podcast sent to you by our friends over at Ag South Farm Credit. Guys, Ag South Farm Credit, most lenders don't understand land financing. Ag South Farm Credit, however, they specialize in land financing. They've been doing so for over 100 years. They make loans for small and large acreage, hunting property, timberland farm and pasture land, even home mortgages and construction. They have a ton of great benefits, including long-term fixed rate financing for up to 20 years, down payments as low as 15%. They have competitive rates and they pay an average of 25% of the interest back every year as what they call patronage. So they're cooperative, so they share in their profits with their member borrowers. So guys, for example, on a $300,000 loan at 6.5% for 20 years, you would get back $2,770 each year. They've also got an experienced lending staff that knows land and knows how to finance. Guys, when you're making a decision like this, when you're making a big time life decision, you want to make sure you have the right people in your corner, the people that you can trust, that you know, are going to be looking out for your best interest and going to make decisions that are best for you on your behalf. Ag South Farm Credit is that lender. They are that company that's going to take care of you. I actually been talking to a buddy of mine, him and his wife, they're looking to buy a lot of land, 37 acres of land. How do I go about getting pre-qualified or how would you go about getting pre-qualified? No matter how much land you're looking to buy, if you're looking to get a mortgage, whatever it might be. How do you get pre-qualified? Obviously, that's a really, really big question. Ag South Farm Credit usually asks you to send uh, send them some brief financials so they can give you a ballpark estimate to further help you in your, your decision to buy land. So that would normally include a recent pay stub, bank statements, and last year's W-2, and that'll give them what they need to run a brief analysis on your current financial situation. So like I said, Ag South Farm Credit, they make the process super simple, super easy, and they're looking out for your best interest in the long run. To get in touch with a loan officer today and learn more, call 844-AG-SOUTH or visit their website, agsouthfc.com slash T-S-U-S. Again, that's A-G-S-O-U-T-H-F-C.com slash T-S-U-S. Ag South an equal housing lender, NMLS 619-788. Again, their website, agsouthfc.com slash T-S-U-S or give them a call, 844-AG-SOUTH and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. All right, let's get into it.
All right, I'm Chris Phillips, your host of the Spurs Up Show, as always. Got a packed show for you guys. We're talking football, basketball, staff shakeups, roster shakeups, a ton happening in the last 24, 48, 72 hours or so for the Gamecocks on the field, off the field. A ton happening. It's been crazy. We got a packed show, and as always on this Monday, appreciate you guys tuning in and taking it all in with me before we get into everything. A couple housekeeping items really quickly. If you haven't done so, go rate the show, go subscribe to the show, leave a five-star review, leave your feedback. No matter what platform you're on, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever it might be, go leave your thoughts, your feedback, go leave five stars for the Spurs Up show. I really, really do appreciate it and appreciate all you that have already done so. Also, if you're listening right now and you're not subscribed, not sure what you're doing, click the subscribe button. It's going to give you the daily notifications when the daily podcast drop, so make sure you are subscribed as well. Also, been telling you guys before, I want to tell you again, though, Bobby Haney, I've been partnered up with him, his book from Kings Park to Omaha. He is selling those. Um, Great stocking stuffer with the holidays right around the corner. Happy December, by the way. We are in December. So the holidays, Christmas, literally in, what, three weeks or so. Um, great stocking stuffer for that Gamecock fan in your life or Gamecock baseball fan or whatever it may be. The book is just eleven ninety nine. It's going to come signed from Bobby Haney. So if you are interested, shoot over an email, bobbyhaney23 at gmail.com. Or, heck, if you're interested, just let me know, and I'll, I'll be sure to facilitate that transaction as well. But either way, I just want to make you guys aware, just eleven ninety nine for the book, a great stocking stuffer again. For that Gamecock fan in your life, an awesome book. I've read it. It's an amazing book. Really, really good stuff. And I think I know something that Gamecock fans would be sure to enjoy. All right, let's dive right into it because, again, there's a lot to get to here on a Monday, a lot to talk about. And we obviously have to start what happened on the field Saturday. Gamecocks falling to Clemson 38-3 to um, in a game that really – was never close. I mean, really never close. You take a look at the statistics. Clemson dominated South Carolina in every phase of the game, offense, defense, special teams. You know, it's funny when you're breaking down this game because I feel like just as much, if not more, has happened since the game, obviously, with the coaching staff shakeups, with the player announcements on who's coming back, who's leaving, all that good stuff, which we're going to get to in just a second. But this game, I mean, it's, it's almost like it's really, really easy to just summarize what happened on Saturday. What you saw on Saturday – was purely an exhibition of when there is a massive talent gap, this is what you're going to see. And that's exactly what there is. There's a massive, massive talent gap. Um, give Clemson credit. Tip of the cap to Clemson. Again, they're a really, really good football team. I do want to say this. I do want to give kudos real quick to South Carolina's defense, not just for this game, but I really just feel like the entire second half of the season and really the entire season in general, you know, a group that could have gotten down on themselves, could have folded – um, but a group that continue to fight, in my opinion. I mean, I thought South Carolina's defense again on Saturday was one of those games where it did all it could. I mean, it really. I, I understand you give up over 500 yards of offense to Clemson, but South Carolina's defense for this season pretty much did all it could. I'm not saying they were a great unit. I'm not saying they played great on Saturday, but you know, you can't really ask much more of the Gamecocks defense. I mean, you start the game with a with a goal line stand, which was obviously a huge momentum thing. Um. South Carolina, again, showed life early on in that moment. But I just want to tip my cap to the Gamecocks defense because, again, I, I thought they battled all season. I mean, there's really all you can say. They battled all year long. Um, again, I'm not sitting here saying they were a great unit by any means, but when, you're, when your backs are against the wall like South Carolina's defense was all season, when you just have no offensive help. I mean, the Gamecocks closed the year out scoring – not scoring a touchdown in their last two and a half games. I mean, the last touchdown South Carolina scored was the first half of the App State game. Like that, that feels months ago. That feels so long ago. So, you know, it, you're putting South Carolina's defense in a really tough situation. But I just want to give kudos to them because, again, I thought they continued to battle, to fight. 
But in the end of the day, it's just not enough. I mean, Clemson, you look at Trevor Lawrence, 26 of 36, 295, three touchdowns, no picks. Um, he was actually their leading rusher as well, eight carries for 66 yards. Travis Etienne held just 15 carries for 51 yards with two touchdowns. But, I mean, if there is one positive you want to take away, Gamecocks run defense did play well the run defense, but just had no answer for Clemson's wide receivers, which was a thing that I thought was going to be a big issue coming in this game, and it really did prove to be a major issue. I mean, Justin Ross, nine catches, 111 yards for a touchdown. T. Higgins, three catches for 101 and two touchdowns. I mean, it's just – it's not fair. I mean, it's just not fair. I mean, I, I – have been critical of the Gamecocks secondary all season, and I think justly so in a lot of scenarios. But this was a situation on Saturday where you were simply outmatched. I mean, you were simply outmatched. Um, I thought you saw the Gamecocks safeties really get exposed on Saturday. Um, really, really get exposed. And again, you know, a couple of those guys aren't going to be back next year, and a couple of them are really young. There's youth there as well. But yeah, you saw South Carolina secondaries I mean, absolutely get destroyed on Saturday. I mean, just a complete mismatch, complete mismatch. So, um, which is obviously concerning because that is Will Muschamp's position. So, I mean, it, trust me, it's, it's a head scratcher for me. It's hard for me to fathom how we can be that bad at that position in year four of Will Muschamp, but yet here we are. Um, you know, again, I've said this after the Texas A&M game, you know, I've said it before this season. I told you guys, I think last week before this game, sort of the same sentiment that, like, we're not going to learn anything from this team. Like, this team kind of is what it is. You know, how I feel about the coaching situations, how I feel about it, nothing new is going to happen. Um, you know, obviously, we've put, we're putting a bow on the 2019 football season, which is – it's crazy. It feels like it just started. But, uh, you know, four and eight. I mean, that's, you are what your record says you are, despite what Will Muschamp wants to say in postgame pressers and go back to say, well, this is what we did last year and this is what we did the first three years. You are what your record says you are. You're a four and eight team. You're a four and eight coach. Um, again, sticking with the game on Saturday, I mean, South Carolina just dominated, dominated on all sides of the ball, you know, every phase of the game, offense, defense, special teams. Ryan Holinsky, 16 for 27, 105 yards and a pick. Um, nothing great from the rushing game either. Tavian Feaster, 12 carries for 47 yards, leading rusher. Shai Smith, your leading receiver, five catches for 40 yards. Um, you know, just not a lot there. I mean, just a dead offense. Um, just a dead offense. I mean, it's just – you know, I mean, it's – I guess me predicting us to score 10 points in this game was uh, overzealous. I guess that was just way too optimistic. I mean, I thought maybe we could we could scratch out a touchdown even if it was late, even if it was garbage time. Um, really, you take a look at this game, though, man. I mean, Clemson, I'm surprised they held it to 38-3 to because, you know, they could have easily hit the 50s, in my opinion. I mean, the game was – 31 to 3 in the third quarter, early third quarter, too. Um, so, I mean, just again, it's a game where there's so much to say, but there really is nothing to say. I mean, you just got dominated on all sides of the ball by a better football team. That's really all it comes down to. I will say one thing, guys, and I, this isn't talking about everybody, but uh, maybe even myself. Maybe I'm even saying this with myself. It's, it is, I guess a little bothersome to me on this Monday morning that, you know, how – I guess like how accepting we are of the, the result. You know what I mean? Like how accepting we are of the final result. Um, because at least when there's outrage, it's just because people care. Like we want to see a good product. We want to see a winner. We want to see a team we can be proud of, right? 
But when you start to just accept defeat like this, and it's like, oh, we all saw it coming, whatever, blah, blah, blah. They're just a better team than us. But, like, when you start to accept defeat like that, that like, that's not a good thing. That, that's not a good thing. So, I'm not saying that everybody's doing that. I'm not even really saying – I don't really even know, you know – I've just seen a group where it's like, I think we all just kind of went in with expectations of this was going to be an ugly game and it was an ugly game and it just kind of is what it is. But it's like that mindset is just so scary. You know what I mean? That That's just such a scary mindset to have in the sense of like accepting defeat, apathy setting in. Like that is not once you that, – that's how you get into sports purgatory. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, I, I understand what you, what you were going up against. I mean, you were basically a four-touchdown underdog. So, I mean, the final score is not, like, shocking to anyone. But, you know, <clears throat> I mean, something's got to be done. And something has been done is happening right now with the staff shakeup. Um, but, it, you know, just tough one to swallow. I mean, it's just a tough one to swallow. And it's just a, just kind of fitting with how this season went. Though. I mean, you finished the season with eight losses. Seven of those eight, I believe, coming by double digits. And then, what is it? Or, yeah, six of those seven by 20 or more. I mean, that, that's, that's embarrassing. You know, and I, I may have my stats off a little bit there. I mean, I, I'm just going off from what we were talking about last week in regards to the, the margin of losses there. But, you know, it's just embarrassing. I don't care how you slice it. You're four of Will Muschamp, um, and you, that, that's the product you're seeing on the field. It's just not acceptable. I mean, I don't care how good Clemson is. Um, you know, you, you lost year one to them 56 to seven. And you're losing year four to them 38 to three. I mean, are you really any closer in year four <clears throat> than you were in year one? I mean, that, that's my question. Are you really any closer at all to them? Because um, the scoreboard would say otherwise. <laughs> I mean, the scoreboard, and, and again, that, that was a game on Saturday that, yes, you had the goal line stand at the beginning, and that game was never close. I mean, there was never a doubt in that game uh, that Clemson was going to win that football game. Not even a, not even a slight doubt. Um, so, you know, again, I think South Carolina just got outmatched. I think that Clemson's just, you know, just in a different league, a different universe than South Carolina is right now. Um, and it's unfortunate, but that's where we are. I mean, that's, that's where we are. I mean, it's, it's no secret. You watch the game on Saturday, and it's, it's extremely evident. The Gamecocks just do not – they either don't have the players or they don't have the coaching to coach up said players or both. Um. You know, you just don't you just don't have the guys. You don't have the bodies. You know, you don't have you don't have a Trevor Lawrence out there. You don't have a T. Higgins or a Justin Ross. You don't have an Isaiah Simmons out there. You just don't. That's just you just don't. That's what you're working with. So um Gamecocks got a long way to go. They got a lot to fix. Again, the twenty nineteen season's officially over. I know a lot of us are are very relieved. It's kind of funny. And I I on Sunday, I was like, I can't believe the season's over. Like it, it you know, because the college football season always flies by. It feels like it's one of it's those it's one of those things that it's like, it feels like it just started. And I was sort of torn on Sunday afternoon because I was thinking to myself, you know, part of me is just happy this season has come to a mercifully come to an end, right? Like, thank God it's over. We don't have to watch this team struggle and watch this offense struggle and, you know, what have you. But, you know, obviously with every season that goes, it's, it's kind of sad because it's like well, we have to wait another year now for football to come back. But Gamecocks have got a lot to fix. They started to do that on Sunday afternoon. Like I said, I want to talk about the staff shakeup because that – you know, that to me, I think, <clears throat> is probably even the bigger news than the game. Because the game we all sort of expected, right? Like, we, we expected it to be a struggle. We expected South Carolina to lose. Now it's like, what do you do now, though? Like, how are you going to fix this? What moves have to be made? What moves have to be made, um, you know, after this? 
So, and I think that's what you saw start to happen. Gamecocks fired Jeff Dillman, strength and conditioning coach. Dan Werner fired quarterbacks coach. Brian McClendon officially demoted, no longer the play call. Um, Bobby Bentley is going to remain on staff with the news that Jake Bentley is going to transfer, which I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But, you know, I had a lot of people ask me, a lot of people reaching out, you know, what do you think about these firings? What do you think about demoting Brian McClendon? It had to be done. Like, if nothing else, this had to be done. What I think is so – what I think is so interesting, by the way, is that Will Muschamp and his – you know, and his – I think he's done this multiple times, but Will Muschamp is like a, like a good old boy. It's like the buddy system in coaching, right? You take care of your own. It's a unique fraternity. Below. I get all that. But I love how Will Muschamp loves to sit there and defend, 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 defend as far as Brian McClendon and the offense. And, you know, he said after the, after the postgame – you know, after Clemson in the postgame presser. And I'm paraphrasing, and you know, excuse my French, but he basically said nobody was mo- you know bitching and moaning last year when we scored, <clears throat> when we averaged scoring X amount of points and X amount of yards and whatever. And then you turn around and you demote Brian McClendon from his status. Like if you truly believe that Brian McClendon wasn't the problem, why are you demoting him? Now I think they probably forced him to do so. I mean, come on, you you had to make a change. You didn't score a touchdown for the last two and a half football games. Like, you had to make a change. Had to make a change here. Um, but I think these were moves that had – and, you know, listen, with the injuries and stuff, you know, Jeff Dillman had to go. I mean, again, none of these moves I think are personal. It's all business. But, I mean, Jeff Dillman had to go. All the injuries South has endured. You're talking about a head coach and Will Muschamp, too, that I don't know why he thought it was a good idea to bring Dillman from Florida. I, I just – I really can't fathom that. But with all the smoke and all the everything, all the, you know, the chatter we heard, even from former players about, you know, the way that they think the players are being overworked, they're overworking the athletes, like, there had to be a move here. Um, Will Muschamp, a guy that you could really argue one of the major reasons he lost his job at Florida was because he couldn't keep guys healthy because of all the injuries. And he's very close to that same exact thing happening here at South Carolina. So, that move had to be made. I like the move. I mean, listen, again, Jeff Dillman, I know a lot of Gamecock fans like him. He was kind of a funny follow on social media, but he had to go. Um, I thought Dan Werner being fired was very interesting. I, that, that's not one that I necessarily saw. And what a lot of people are saying is that, you know, they, they wanted to open up that position because the person who gets the OC job next wants to coach quarterbacks. So I don't know if that means they've already got a guy in mind. Or because I know a lot of names are floating out there right now, like Chad Morris and Rhett Lashley and, you know, some other guys. Um, God, Steve Adazio, I saw him on social media. If that happens, it will not be a very fun podcast. Either way, either way though. Um, so it sounded like whoever they get in there next is going to want to coach quarterback. So, but I, I was sort of surprised Dan Warner was let go. I mean, a guy that, you know, very well thought of, well respected in the coaching ranks, a guy that has a lot of experience around a lot of good offenses. Um, but, yeah, Brian McClendon being demoted, you know, and I think what's probably going to happen, what you're going to see is that, you know, he's been demoted, I think they said, with the option to stay on staff. But I think what this is is more so, like like I said, like the buddy system of where Muschamp doesn't want to fire his friend. He just does not want to fire his friend. And he's going to – kind of like what happened to Kurt Roper, I feel like. He's going to relieve him of his duties but also help him get another job so he lands on his feet. Like, I think that's what's going to happen. Um, but, you know, it just – Listen, I, I'm, I'm as shocked as anyone in the sense that, like, I can't believe how good this guy was a year ago. Brian McClendon was calling plays and then how bad he is this year. I mean, I, 
I understand injuries. I understand you lose your starting quarterback. But, like, I just don't know how a guy goes from being revered as, like, we all think he's a genius to a year late – literally a year later to the date he's, like, has no clue. So, it was a move that had to be made at minimum. And you guys <clears> – <throat> you guys know how I feel in the sense I think this is like putting a Band-Aid on a shotgun wound. Like, I, I think Muschamp is the problem. I think Muschamp's the root of the problem. I'm not going to – go back over that again because again you guys know how I feel about the situation but if nothing else if Muschamp was going to come back in 2020 which he is 100% you had to make this change you had to shake things up on the offensive side I mean again you have injuries you have youth you have a freshman quarterback I get all those things but like it still just cannot be acceptable what happened on offense this year it just it just can't um so, you know, again, I, I think Bobby Bentley remaining on staff as well. You know, I, I think, again, you, you made the changes you needed to make. Will there be any more changes on the offensive side? I don't think it's out of the question. I really don't. Um, I think as much as you can shake up the offensive staff, the better at this point. I mean, you know, what, what really – what positive can you take? Besides Thomas Brown, I think Thomas Brown 100% is safe. The running back room was so much better. The running game was better. He absolutely is not going anywhere. But the rest of it? Yeah, the rest of it's got to be shaken up, and I'm, I'm glad they've at least I'm, – I'm glad they didn't wait around to do it. Went ahead and just bit the bullet and did it all on Sunday and obviously continue into the week. Um, for me, I mean, I've got written here in my notes, does anything else need to be done? You know, I, again, I, I think as much as you can shake up the offensive room, the better. I, I think as much as you can shake that up, the better. Um, you know, a lot of things need to change with this Gamecocks offense. <laughs> and I'm sure bringing in a new OC is going to – I mean, he's going to have – you know, his input and his say on what needs to change as well. But, you know, it's we, I feel like we said this exact same thing after Kurt Roper was fired and they hired Brian McClendon, but I'm going to say it again. Most, this is the most important hire of Will Muschamp's head coaching career. Like, if this man has any aspirations to be a head football coach, this hire better work. Like, there's no other way to put it. And I know I said before in the middle of the season and throughout the season, like, I don't know who you're going to be able to hire that knows Will Muschamp's a walking dead man, basically. Because, I mean, listen, if he, did, if he misses a bowl game next year, he's fired. No question. No question. If Will Muschamp misses a bowl game next year, he's fired. So, I don't know what OC you're really going to get. I mean, who, I, I think a guy, even like, a, I'll say like a Chad Morris, that's the most popular name to throw around right now. If you're willing to pay him, I think he'll come. I do. I think he'll come. Um, you know, these coordinator positions, it's all about just, hey, you know, you, you got to shell out some serious cash, but, you know, it's it's a little bit different than getting a head football coach. A little bit easier, I would say. But, you know, I don't know necessarily – again, I know there's a list of guys. Um, I, I don't know who you're going to get at this point. Again, I know Chad Morris is the most popular name to throw around. But, uh, you know, I, uh, I think as much as you can shake up the offensive staff, and I wonder how long it will take them to hire an O.C., just because you do have that early signing period coming up. So would hiring an OC help you out in regards to maybe landing some, you know, landing some recruits, landing some offensive guys, just making everybody feel good about the direction of this Gamecocks offense going into 2020. Um, so, you know, interesting stuff. Again, I think all the moves that needed to happen, all the moves that needed to happen, they happen, and I think they're going to continue to happen. I don't think we've seen the last of changes on the offensive side of the football for South Carolina as far as the coaching is concerned. Um, a couple roster updates as well. Jake Bentley announcing officially on social media his, his intentions to transfer. 
Uh, Sidarius Hutcherson and Shai Smith indicating they will return in 2020. I think it's kind of a similar thing, you know, with Jake Bentley. I think it's just a move that had to be made. I know right now Utah is the team that's rumored to where he'll be going, um, which I think would be a good fit for Jake. Um, but it's just something that I think had to happen. You know what I mean? I, I you know, I said after the UNC game, you know, the, the marriage was over between USC and Jake Bentley. And it's unfortunate because, I mean, I think a kid that, listen, I mean, I think he – obviously he wanted to win. Um, you know, it's, un, it's always unfortunate when a kid gets their senior year taken away from him. And I know he's going to transfer in another senior year. But to not be able to finish at the place you started, to kind of get that year taken away, obviously very tough. But I – I think this was, was this was just a decision that had to be made uh, for Jake, for Jake's sake. You know what I mean? Like, I, I know a lot of people were saying, well, Jake needs to come back, you know, battle for the starting quarterback job. I just think it's run its course. I, I really, really do. Because it's funny because now, you know, now it's like everyone's, you know, you know, giving their thanks and praise to Jake. And you should. I mean, definitely for everything he did with the program. It's like, let's please not forget what the narrative or what the thoughts or what the opinions were on him going into the UNC game and after the UNC game. Like, I, I'm not one to forget that. That's why I'm not, I'm not one of those who was so adamant about like him coming back. Like, the situation got bad for both parties. South Carolina fans didn't want Jake Bentley in there anymore. And I have to imagine on Jake Bentley's side, he's not too fond of Gamecock fans at this point. I could be wrong. I don't want to put words in his mouth. I mean, he, he understands what comes with playing the position, but um, – it was just one of those things where I think it's best for both sides for him to move on and play somewhere else. It's going to be – I will say this. Will there ever be a player that's not on the South Carolina roster followed as closely as Jake Bentley will be followed next season? It's, just, it's, it's going to be so strange to see him in a different uniform. Like, it's just going to be so, – because it's a guy, you know, you feel like he was at South Carolina forever, played so many games for South Carolina, but – I mean, seriously, is there going to be a guy we've ever followed cl more closely than we will, we will follow Jake Bentley next season? Um, you know, just crazy. But, again, I, I think something Jake had to do. I'm not surprised at all. Um, I heard for a while he was probably going to be transferring. So, obviously, wish him the best. And, I, you know, definitely appreciative for everything Jake Bentley did. Um, you know, I, you could argue Will Muschamp's most important player while he's been the head coach at South Carolina. Because, I mean, what you can say this. Jake Bentley did get South Carolina out of the depths. I mean, he did bring them out of, you know, 2016 was destined to be a terrible year, and he got them to a bowl game. 2017, obviously, you win the Outback Bowl. Like, there were some good things that happened during his tenure. But, again, I think a move that is best for both parties, for Jake and South Carolina. Um, getting Sidarius Hutchinson and Shai Smith back, you know, I think it's – number one, I think it's smart on both their parts. I don't think either one of these guys was a high enough – NFL prospect, you know, to even consider leaving. But, you know, getting shy back, obviously, especially is huge. You know, having that playmaker return, you need as many playmakers in this offense as you can get. I think Shy Smith next year will have the opportunity to be one of the best receivers in the conference. Sidarius Hutchinson, a big return as well, just because that Gamecocks offensive line, you know, Hutchinson, a really, really solid player. Um, you're obviously going to lose Stanley at the center position. Um, so getting Sedarius Hutcherson back is really, really big, really key for this Gamecocks offensive line. So I think two guys who should really help South Carolina next year. And I think a good decision on both of their parts to return in 2020. you got to be excited for that as well if you're a Gamecock fan to get both of those guys back. Um, all right, let's move to some men's basketball. Let's get off football, talk basketball. Gamecocks did have a game on Sunday. Uh, South Carolina beats George Washington 74-65. to Really quickly, I'll run through some takeaways here. Um, the lockdown defense. 
really, really showed up for South Carolina against George Washington. You take a look at the stats. Gamecocks held George Washington just 33% shooting, 22% from three. Meanwhile, South Carolina shot 53% from the field, just 21% from three. But obviously the Gamecocks shooting much, much better. Um, You out-rebound George Washington, really a game that – Got much closer down the stretch. South Carolina half was leading 35-23, and then the Gamecocks, I mean, again, they went by nine points. But uh, got much closer down the stretch. But overall, the lockdown defense, you love to see it. I want, One guy I want to give a quick shout-out to, which I know I've done so already this season, but uh, Mike Coatsar continues to play phenomenal basketball. 17 points for him, nine rebounds and assists. Um, again, I, I know Mike is not a perfect player. He's certainly not a perfect player. There's a lot of areas he can improve. But he really seems to be taking over that senior – leader type roles I mean like he's playing like a senior um and I know Frank Martin has a lot of positive comments about him after the game and I know he's very pleased with what he's playing I, I'm I'm excited for what Mike is doing because again when you get an SEC play you're going to need that senior leadership and for a team that you know Frank Martin's already said before is kind of lacking some leadership in that regard um it's big that the Gamecocks can have that type of presence and Mike Coates are. Um, we, you know, we obviously know this is a game you absolutely had to win. South Carolina moves to five and three now. You had to bounce back after losing two straight um, in the Cancun Challenge. So to get a win, obviously on your home floor, is big. Um, <clears throat> I thought the guard play, I thought the guard play finally kind of shone through a little bit. Um, you look at the guards here. I mean, A.J. Lawson with 14, Kuznar with 12, Bolden with 12. You know, that's kind of what we were expecting. I mean, that's, that's like I said, when South Carolina's guards struggle, this team will struggle. And when they play well, this team will play well. I mean, it's just bottom line. So, South Carolina got much, much better play out of its guards against George Washington. I think it's no surprise they won the basketball game. Um, it's a team that obviously has a ton to work on. You still got to improve. You still got to get better. This week, you take on UMass at their place Wednesday and then Houston comes to Colonial Life Arena Sunday for what should be a really good game. And I think will be a great measuring stick type of game for where South Carolina really is. Um, so, again, a good win. Again, you get to five and three. I thought, again, the guards have got to continue to play well. A.J. Lawson's got to be the focal point of this offense. Um, you still need to continue to find more guys down low that I think contribute on a consistent basis. Uh, Levesque had six points. I mean – you know, but outside of that, I mean, Jalen McCreary with zero, Alonzo Frank with two two points. He only played four minutes in the game. Um, so you need to just continue to develop as we go through this non-conference. But again, this team is going to be this team's success is going to be dependent on South Carolina's guards making shots. Like I know that sounds simple. That sounds too simple to be true. But like that's what it's going to come down to. You just got to make these guards have got to make shots. You got to live up to that billing that we had in the preseason. That you know, I, I literally heard from a former Gamecock basketball player. This is the best guards Frank Martin's ever had, and the best guards we've had in a long time. You got to play that way. You, you got to. This team is going to run. <clears throat> this team is going to run through its guards. So you've got to play that way. Um, AJ Lawson's got to be that. Like I said, I think AJ Lawson should be a guy that's scoring fifteen to twenty plus a game. Like that has to be him. You know, Bolden's a nice player that needs to continue to play well. Kuznard's a guy like who's who's really like who's going to be that third guard? Is it going to be TJ Moss? Is it going to be Kuznard? Um, I, I wish a guy like Trey Hannibal would get to play more. You know, only seven minutes for him. I, I think a guy who has just so much potential. And you know, I understand he's young, and you have other options at the guard position. And I like the fact that you you don't have to force him into playing, but he's a guy that's electric with the basketball in his hands. Like we need to see Trey Hannibal on the floor more often, in my opinion. I, I just he, he's electric. I mean, I. I 
you know, I think he needs to be out there, get those live game reps developed because I think he's going to be a really, really special player for South Carolina. So, again, 74 to 65 winners. You get something, you get a win you absolutely had to have. You could not afford to lose three in a row. Gamecocks, like I said, at UMass Wednesday, Houston on Sunday. Uh, should be a fun week because we are in full basketball mode now as football season officially concludes. We do have the early signing period coming up on December 19th, but other than like on the field stuff, we are done with football in 2019. Crazy to think. Um, all right, news and notes to get to, and then we'll get into your listener questions. The voicemail's got a ton of those, obviously. Um, the only thing I have in news and notes, shout out to Gamecocks women's soccer on a great 2019 season. Uh, obviously eliminated in the Elite Eight on Friday, but definitely wanted to give those the, the ladies a shout out, uh, making it all the way to the Elite Eight, a fantastic season for them. So just want to say thank you to you guys, a, an awesome season. Um, and it was, it was a pleasure watching you guys. I was actually able to make a couple games. Uh, Gamecocks women's soccer, though. Great 2019 season, for sure. Uh, all right, let's get in these voicemails. Got a ton of them. Going to play about four or five of them or so, but uh, we will knock these out. Chris, it's Dale from Edgefield. Um, I've kind of composed my thoughts, and I want to put, uh, put my voicemail into kind of two separate, separate categories. I want to talk about yesterday's game, talk about today's development. Um, yesterday, man, our offense couldn't get anything going. It was just, I've never seen a football team seem so defeated before they even stepped out on the field. And given the defense, um, our defensive line is excellent. They, uh, they decided to contain ETN. I don't know, know how we didn't get as much pressure on, on Lawrence, you know, with as good as we contained ETN, but that's, uh, that's another story. And then when, uh, Justin Ross, Justin Ross ran down the sideline behind the bench, grabbed him a cup of Gatorade, came back in and made that catch. I couldn't believe it. They ruled that inbound. That's a load of bull crap. Um, another thing that I uh, that I noticed is if you were going to play Urich, Urich, however the hell you pronounce it, you, you just got to play the bastard. You can't sit there and, and go back and forth between him and Bentley, especially with Bentley limping, uh, Halinski limping, the way that he, the way that he was, I got my mind on Bentley now. After seeing that he's transferring, man, I feel like that hurts. I know I didn't want to see him come back in a starting role, but I sure would have liked to see him stick around to, to mentor Ryan. And uh, and I, I just, I don't know. I think it's a good thing that uh, that B Mac is. I think it was a business decision to demote him, so to say, is kind of well we got to pay him anyways we might as well keep him on the staff if he wants to be here but uh other than that man it was a it was a piss poor performance it's a good thing that changes are coming because i really and truly think that some of these 5a high schools that are coming to williams price next week to the beat the team that i saw on the field yesterday and that's sad for the program that we are and if will muschamp says the same shit about how Nobody had more success in their first three years as head coach, and, and I'm, I'm tired of it. But we'll we'll be there next year. We're on the basketball season. I'll uh, I look forward to that, and then and then baseball after that. But uh, I'm, it's a good thing that this year's football season is over, buddy. I know that you're tired of it just as much as I am. Spurs up, go Cox. Dale, appreciate the voicemails as always, my man. I have enjoyed uh, enjoyed taking your voicemails throughout the season. But, uh, no, it was brutal. I mean, there's really no other way to put it. Saturday was brutal. Um, <laughs> I don't think I've watched games with less excitement than I have 
in the 2019 season. Just because, like, this is a team that's just like, I mean, let's call it what is. They're just so boring. Like, you couldn't score any points. I mean, football's not very, you know, if you're going to lose, like, at least make it, make it exciting. I mean, I don't think I stood out of my seat once on Saturday. Like, it just, what, what was their, you know, besides the goal line stand, like, what was there really to cheer for? Um, you know, I just uh, – you make a lot of good points. I'll say the one thing about Jake Bentley you were talking about that, <clears throat> you know, I understand that sentiment of wanting – him wanting to – or people wanting him to stay, if you will, but you also got to think about Jake. Like, Jake wants to play. Like, he's a competitor. You get to this level of football. You've played as much football as he has. He wants to play, period. He needs to play. You know, he's trying to – I know people will scoff at this statement, but, you know, he's trying to make it to the next level. He's trying to go to the NFL. So, if he's trying to do that, he needs to go somewhere where he can be the starter and play. So, um, I think everything else, though, you know, you, you, you make a good point. You know, I think what really worries me, and again, not to look too far ahead, but what worries me going in the 2020 season is just, you know, <clears throat> that defensive line you talk about. I mean, who's going to replace Kinlaw and Wanham? I mean, who's going to be those guys? I mean, I, I'm not saying – you know, obviously in recruiting, you know, you think Zach Pickens will probably step in with another year in the weight room and just that experience he got this year. He should fill in nicely into a role next year. And then do you get Jordan Birch? I know it seems kind of crazy, and maybe maybe some of you will think that's a, that's a silly question for me to even ask, but it's still, it's still a possibility. Do you get Jordan Birch? Could he be a guy that makes a media impact? But, yeah, I mean, I, I the one bright spot for South Carolina on this team, I thought, was the defensive line. But, uh, no, nah, I mean, yeah, Saturday was uh, – it was is brutal. I mean, there's, there's no other way to put it, and it's you know, like I said, it's mercifully come to an end. So appreciate you as always, Dale. What's going on, Chris William over here, uh, calling out of Denver, Colorado. Very thankful to be living in Colorado on time. <laughs> Times like these, very thankful to be out of the state of South Carolina. Can't stand the face the sight of orange. Even want to see the Bronco orange, but. <laughs> I'm here driving in uh, in Denver, obviously not watching the game anymore. Uh, I go ahead and ask Siri, uh, you know, what's what's the score of the South Carolina football game? And she responds savagely, South Carolina is getting demolished, 31-3. to And that pretty much just sums up how this season has gone. Honestly, fuck Will Muschamp. Excuse my French. Fire Will Muschamp, fire Ray Tanner. I'm glad I live in Denver on times like this. I, I, I bet you you can guess where I'm going. Thanks to the Carolina Gamecocks. Need to loosen up, to say the least. Go Cops. All right, appreciate it, man. Appreciate the voicemail. Yeah, I mean, listen, I understand your frustration. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's justified. It's justified. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I'm still on the firewall must champ train. I, like I told you guys, I, I think that's the solution. I think he's the problem. Um, you know, people that want to make excuses. I mean, I mean, listen, man, Barry Odom got fired at Missouri. Like Barry Odom, he's an alum of the school and he got fired. What are we hanging on to Will Muschamp for? I, I mean, what, what, what are we, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to take it this way, but does Missouri have a higher commitment to winning than we do? I mean, is that what – is that – what are you saying to South Carolina fans if you're the administration? What are you saying bringing Will Muschamp back? What's the message that you are sending? 
And again, I didn't really want to go on this rant earlier in the show because I'm like, I've said this so many times. Like, I feel like you guys get sick of me talking about it. But it's like, it's just true at the end of the day. Like, what are you telling your fan base? Does Missouri care more about winning than we do? I get you're making staff changes, but like, here's my thing. You, you guys probably saw after the game on social media my way too early season predictions for the 2020 season. And was I a little harsh? Yeah. But like, I know a lot of, I hear a lot of people say this. Well, we're going to bring Muschamp back one more year, but if we don't win seven or eight next year, he's definitely fired. That'll be the last straw. Guys, if you are bringing Will Muschamp back with expectations of winning eight games in 2020, you are setting yourself up for massive disappointment. Massive disappointment. I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you right now. Best case scenario next year is probably a six and six record. And if and if he's six and six or worse to me, he's fired no matter what. So like you really are just delaying the inevitable at this point. You really are. Because there's no there's nothing to say that hiring a new OC is going to make any difference. This will be the fifth OC Muschamp has had. What difference is that going to make? Like, what difference is it going to make? Really? At what point is it not the OC's fault? At what point is it his fault? You know, people, people think it's nuts that I wanted Muschamp fired after year four. Bro, you want Brian McClendon fired after year two. What's the difference? Like, has McClendon really gotten a fair shake? So, I mean, you know, it's, it's the same thing I've been saying all season, but it's like, what are you saying if you're Tanner and Cass? What are you saying to the U.S.? I understand the buyout. I get that. And really, I mean, if nothing else, I think Tanner should be fired for being the one that put that buyout in a place in the first place, for putting us in this situation. Because there's, there's no, to me, like, I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel here with Mustang. I just, I just don't. I don't see it. I don't see it. I think we'll see more of the same next year. And after we start the season three and three, you know, I mean, I had us losing to East Carolina. I know that sounds crazy. People are like, oh, my, you're just being negative. Dude, we lost to App State this year. Is picking us to, is picking us to lose any game, like, really that outlandish? Is it really, though? So, you know, that's my piece on it. I, pr- I appreciate the voice, y'all, man. We'll do a couple more, and then we'll get in these listener questions from Instagram. Yeah. Uh, just got we're done watching the game. Uh, it is bad, to say the least. Uh I don't know where the future of this program is going to go, but it can't be in Muschamp's hands. It just it can't be. But um, I don't know. I mean, the the best option right now is just to fire him and have somebody like Chad Morris come in here and electrify this offense because the defense wasn't the problem. In reality, it was the offense. I mean, it's just a constant. You can't stop them, you know. But you gotta you gotta have somebody in here that's offensively minded. You gotta have Chad Morris. I mean, that's the best solution, as much as that pains me to say. It's got to be Chad Morris. I mean, I don't know who else you hire. That's even remotely close to turning a program around. I mean, he did a great job at SMU. That's why they're so good right now. But leave it at that. Uh, Spurs up. All right, appreciate the voicemail. Yeah, I think a lot of people agree with you that Chad Morris is the best option for South Carolina. I mean, again, I I don't really know where they go from here. I I don't even know if it matters who they hire. Like, I I know that sounds bad, but – you know, I just 
I don't know. I, I will believe it when I see it that the OC is going to make that much of a difference. I really will. Um, but I, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think Chad Morris is probably going to be your <clears throat> excuse me, probably going to be your best option. He's probably going to be your best option. Will you get him? I don't know. Um, we'll see if South Carolina's willing to shell out the money. But uh, no, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, man. To be honest. Hey, I just want to talk about South Carolina football this year. Uh, I'm still a little surprised. Muschamp said that this is the best team that he's ever coached. And we lost to a Pittsburgh poor UNC team. And then we go on to have four wins. That sounds like a pretty good team to me. And then we put up three points versus Clemson. And then we put up 20, 21 versus Tennessee or 20-something like that. Six first A and M. I'm a little confused. I don't know what's going on, but uh, all I have to say is we need to fire Muschamp immediately and get rid of the coordinators. That's what I have to say. Get Cox. All right, appreciate the voicemail, man. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, <clears throat> you know, I think again, a lot of people are in agreement with you. So I think it's going to be a lot of the a uh, lot of the same in regards to the voicemails and our thoughts on it. I think we all know what needs to happen. It's just a question of will it happen. All right, got two more voicemails, and then we'll get in these listener questions. Chris, man, I appreciate your time, dude. It's a rough loss. It's rough. The bad thing is, is that we don't seem to be willing to take any action to correct what's transpired. We suck. We suck bad. And we're going to be stuck with Muschamp for another year. I don't know what to say, man. I don't know what to say. This all hurts. Um, it stinks. It's rough. It's terrible. But um, we got another year of this, man. We got another year of Muschamp, his inability to coach, his inability to select the right people to be under him, to be able to select the correct coordinator. It's another year, man. It's another year. It sucks. And I'm drunk. And thank God I'm drunk. Um, it's a rough year, man. I appreciate you letting me leave a message. Good luck to you, man. Keep hustling. Keep grinding. Get those sales up boost this channel because you can control that but unfortunately the one thing we can't control is usc sucking because ray tanner sucks president caslin sucks and most of all coach Mustang sucks all right take care now bye all right appreciate the voicemail man i <laughs> i understand the frustration trust first off appreciate the kind words and uh yeah there's a lot needs to happen i mean i, I just you know there's a lot. It's it's. I, I asked the people that are still on the Muschamp train, and you're. It's funny. You're actually going to hear in this interview. John Strickland talks about you know why he is still a Muschamp guy. Granted, this was before. Uh, it was before the game, before the Clemson game, but uh, you know he makes a lot of good points, and I I I at least appreciate someone coming on the show and like giving me because like my question is just simply if you're still on the Muschamp train, like. What is keeping you optimistic about the direction of the program? Like, what, what can you pull right now that makes you say, oh, this OC hire, this will be the one that we get right, and it's all of a sudden we're going to transform into that program we all want to be. Like, I mean, I, I, just, don't, I just don't see it. I don't, I don't, I don't have that belief. Um, I, I really, you know, I, you know what I think is a really interesting, maybe like storyline. I don't know if storyline is the right word, but just something I was thinking about. Should South Carolina look – Whoever the OC is, should it be look as almost like they're a coach in waiting. Like, hey, if this does not work out with Muschamp next year, he's going to be the interim for the 2020 season and maybe take over as head coach. Um, 
I don't know if that's possible. And I mean, you don't want to, you know, lock yourself into that. And I think, I just think it's kind of an underlying storyline, if you will, for how this situation may play out. All right. One last voicemail here. Hey, Chris, this is a uh, Ray from Columbia. And uh, I just wanted to say how proud I was of this, this team's effort tonight. I think, I think we've got a lot of, lot to look forward to with, with coach Muschamp. I mean, if you think about it, um, you know, if, you, if football was golf, I mean, we're, we're really doing pretty well. I mean, most champ put a three down on a scorecard today. Golfers all over the place would take that. So, I mean, we're, we're, doing, we're doing really well. Um, I think we've got a, a really good shot at the, uh, the Palmetto, uh, winning the Palmetto Series with Clemson, which is obviously extremely important. Our, uh, our transgender Tiddlywinks team finished third in the Eastern Division uh, Conference last week. We're also... We're real tight with Clemson in the hunt for the sperm donations that we do every year. So, uh, need to keep focusing on that. And, you know, just real excited about the direction of everything and all the athletics at, at Carolina. Um, you know, as, as w- what we said when, when Muschamp got hired was, you know, really believe it. It's not a coincidence that, uh, that his name is M USC Chump. I mean, Champ. Um, so again, man, appreciate everything you're doing. And I know you, like every other Carolina fan out there, is just looking forward to more, more years of, of uh, with Coach Muschamp leading the helm. I, I think we're all just very excited about about where this program's trending. Um, you know, when you make an investment, you get a return on it, and, and, and I just think that that we're we're really going to start to see the results at any time now. We just, we just got to keep doing what we're doing. Keep doing what we're doing. And we have to believe that the results are going to change because it's always a smart thing to do in athletics. You do the same thing over and over, and eventually the results will change, man. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. It's a great day to be a Gamecock. Let's get them. Spurs up. Go Cox. Ray, that was probably one of the funniest voicemails I've ever heard. Thank you, sir, for that. <laughs> you know, I didn't know. It was funny. I was like, I don't know which direction this is going. And then, all, you know, I, I, I picked up on it rather quickly, the, uh, the sarcasm, my friend. But that's, that is awesome. So thank you for that. That, like, genuinely, that's probably – I may pull that voicemail and put it on social media. Like, that, that's how funny that is. That, that is – that is great, great stuff. Um, all right, let's get in these listener questions from Instagram really quickly. Just got a couple to go through. Um, C Santiago one seven two one. If Muschamp gets fired, who should be the new head coach? Well, I'm not paid to make those decisions, but there is a market out there for a new head coach. But Muschamp will not be fired. He will be back in 2020 as the head football coach. Um, let's see. Hunter underscore X12, I'm depressed on the state of this team. Uh, can't disagree with you. I just cannot disagree with you there. Mike T. Miller, 59, what would it take for you to be happy with Muschamp? I don't want him either, but just curious. Um, <clears throat> you know, all I said throughout the year, throughout this year, and all I've really said is just progress. You just want to see the program trending the right way. You want to see a team make progress and grow and get better. You know what I mean? Like, you can't – like. If South Carolina even just would have went – if they just beat UNC and App State this year and you go six and six, it's not the year we wanted. But you could have justified six and six with a true freshman quarterback and all the other stuff that happened. Like, you could have justified that. You really could have. You really could have. But 
falling below the Mendoza line, what I talked about a couple weeks ago, falling below the Mendoza line, not making a bowl game, going four and eight, and not just going four and eight. Because there are teams that go four and eight but lose five games by a touchdown or less. Like, no, this is a team that went four and eight and got blown out multiple occasions. Multiple occasions. So it's all about just making progress. That's really what it is. It's really what it is. Like, I don't know what record Muschamp would have to go next year for me to change my mind on him. I really don't. Because I just think he is who he is. I really do. Um, unless somehow, some miraculous way, this new OC comes in and is just that guy, things click, I, you know, I just don't see it. So, um, But progress. That's all South Carolina fans, I think, want to see is progress and promise of the, that the future may be brighter than what it is now. That's all we want to see. Not, not too crazy of a request. Andrew, let's see, Andrew Leon underscore 8870, would you still be a Carolina fan next year if we are 0-12? I mean, yeah, I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) Um, I don't think we would go 0-12, and I think Muschamp would be fired probably by week three if we start 0-3. But, uh, no, yeah, I mean, I'm a Gamecock till death, man. It's just what other choice do we have? Um, Let's see, Saltwater Swag, dump coach Bentley, demote BMAC to position coach keep him for recruiting, and get a big-time OC. Well, that's already started to happen, obviously. That is in motion. Um, but, uh, no, yeah, I, I think Brian McClendon, if they do keep him on staff, it is simply for recruiting. He is a guy that can recruit pretty well, but that's going to be why they keep him on if they do so. Cut of gentlemen, was the loss big enough to justify a firing of Muschamp? No, and I said that on social media, that unfortunately 38-3 to is not going to get the fire Muschamp talks going back up with the administration. If we would have lost 52-3, to yeah. Yeah, 52-3 looks a lot worse. Looks a lot worse. So, I don't think so. Um, Thomas underscore Brady underscore H. Why can't our wide receivers make simple catches? Just watch Auburn catch everything. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, here's the thing. I'll, I'll say this. Outside of shy, like, this wide receiver core is bad. Like, really, really bad. Obviously, Brian, Brian Edwards did not play Saturday. And then outside of Shy Smith, I mean, this, this receiving core is bad. I mean, they're very, very bad. Let's just call it, call it for what it is. You um, underscore Ellenberg, zero, zero. Who's your top candidate to be our next head coach if Muschamp actually does get fired? You know, like I said, I'd have to sit down and really break it down, see who's available, because obviously there's been a lot of shuffling the last, you know, 24, 48 hours with coaches getting let go. But, uh, I mean, just – all I want is a young offensive mind who's willing to come in and bust his ass recruiting. And somebody who's going to be, you know, willing to – has a track record of being proven. They've had a good offense. They know how to call offense. You know what I'm saying? Like, that forward thinking in regards to offense. I think hiring defensive coaches as head coaches is a terrible idea. I think it's an awful idea. So, um, let's see. Let's see. Logan underscore M underscore two. Dude, the refs called everything for them and nothing for us. When you're really, really good like Clemson is, you get the benefit of the doubt. You get the calls. That's just how it goes. Um, Connor underscore Wade 03. Will we be better than four and eight next year? I know everybody's asking me that because, uh, you know, I put out the prediction four and eight. I, I mean, I, I think we're, we're floating realistically. I think we're floating right around five and seven or maybe six and six. I, I think five and seven, like if you see the over-under come out for Vegas on win total, I think you're going to see it be five. I think five, five and a half is right where it's going to be. Um, so, no, I mean, I, I just – I'm not going to lie to you guys. Again, I know it's the Monday after the Clemson game, and will my opinions maybe change a little bit as we get – you know, go move towards the 2020 season. 
maybe, but I'm just not going to allow myself to get super hype for this upcoming 2020 or next year, 2020 season, like I did for the 2019 season. I'm, I'm just not going to allow myself to do it. So um, I don't have high expectations. I'm not optimistic. I don't think – I think it'll be a struggle for South Carolina to get to a bowl game, again, unless they get the perfect OC hire and all of a sudden everything changes and, you know, everything comes together. I mean, that's really the only way. So appreciate the voicemails. Appreciate the questions. Got a fantastic interview now for you guys. Former Gamecocks offensive lineman John Strickland. John was on the back-to-back Outback Bowl teams that beat Ohio State. Someone that's very familiar with the program as well, still follows Gamecocks football closely. Fantastic interview with him, and it's all brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket-buying app by far, the only ticket-buying app I use, and the only one that I'd recommend. Go download SeatGeek, go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to get $20 off your first purchase. Guys, I know the football season is over, but Gamecocks basketball is in full swing. We've still got the NFL going on, NHL, uh, NBA, um, tons of sports, concerts, comedy club events, you name it. Whatever you need tickets to, SeatGeek has got them there for you. I used them on Saturday. literally bought my Carolina Clemson tickets to that. I literally bought my tickets on SeatGeek to the Carolina Clemson game. They make ticket buying super simple, super easy. They're going to give you that peace of mind before you click the buy button because you're looking on there. You're never going to get ripped off for tickets again. You're always going to have that peace of mind that, you know what, SeatGeek's looking out for me as far as I'm going to get the best deal, the best bang for my buck. I'm going to get the tickets that I want at the price that I want. So, again, go download SeatGeek or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-U-R-S-U-P, to save $20 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks offensive lineman John Strickland. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up Show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 2000 to 2004. He was part of the USC teams that won back-to-back Outback Bowls and was actually named to the Remington Award watch list in 2004. He played offensive line for the Gamecocks, and I'm very pleased to be welcomed by former Gamecocks offensive lineman John Strickland. John, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Yes, pleasure uh, to be on. Absolutely. So, John, I want to start. We had a lot to talk about, obviously. We're speaking. It's Carolina Clemson week. I want to get into that. I want to dive into thoughts on the current, you know, current state of Gamecock football, things of that nature. But I want to start with you personally. Go back to the beginning um, because you were recruited to South Carolina at a very, very interesting time. Again, you got there in 2000. South Carolina coming off an 0-11 season, a stretch of 1-21. Lou Holtz had just gotten the job. Just talk about what was the recruiting process like for you and what eventually made you choose South Carolina? Yeah, I'll tell you, uh, you know, early on in my recruiting process, kind of late sophomore year into my junior year of high school, uh, Auburn was kind of the first one that uh, gave me the, the the most look and the first look. And, uh, of course, uh, Terry Bowden was on uh, as the head coach at that time. Um, and, of course, I fell in love with him. Um, and then I had – Florida come in with coach Spurrier and they started recruiting me really hard and um, the offensive line coach Jimmy Ray Stevens I used to talk to him every single week and you know then Lou Holtz gets hired at South Carolina uh, during that time uh, going into my senior year Um, and just you know looking back at it I grew up a Georgia fan actually Mm -hmm. and most of my family and most of my friends either went to Georgia or Auburn being from where I'm at uh, in Georgia. So, well, Georgia did not sign any offensive linemen uh, my senior year uh, coming out of high school. So it was 
So it was kind of weird. And the funny thing is, is I played in the Georgia-Florida All-Star game. So you had eight of us offensive linemen who were kind of the top offensive linemen in the state of Georgia. We were all like the top ten ranked offensive linemen in the state of Georgia. And not one of us went to the University of Georgia. And only one guy stayed in state, and he went to uh, Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. So um, so that's kind of what happened there. But going back to it, um, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, if things – if if Terry Bowden would have stayed on as a coach, but obviously Tommy Tuberville got hired my senior year of uh, high school. But if Terry would have stayed on, I probably would have wound up at Auburn. Uh, but then, uh, you know, with South Carolina coming in, and they started recruiting me actually harder than, than anybody. And I just came on my visit here. Um, obviously, it's Lou Holtz. I mean, me growing up as a kid, you know, being 38 years old, I mean, you know who Lou Holtz was back here in the, the 80s and 90s. So that was uh, that was a pretty easy thing. And then with Coach flying down to my house in South Georgia and uh, meeting with me and my family for two hours, uh, that's kind of uh, what made me come to South Carolina because, um, you know, just growing up as a kid, I wanted to play in the, the SEC. And, of course, I wanted to be a Bulldog, but that didn't work out. So uh, just meeting Coach Holtz and – getting to know him and the guys who are currently on the team, even though they were coming off a bad season. So, but you know, that doesn't really, to most guys, I know a lot of people think, Oh, we got to win this game to get this recruit. That's not mm-hmm. true at all. Uh, it's just the guys where they feel most comfortable uh, with the, with the current players and the coaches and just the, 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 the overall college experience they see themselves getting from that place. So that's ultimately what made me choose South Carolina. Right, so you talked about Lou Holtz a little bit. And, again, I mentioned you came in at a really interesting time, again, coming off that losing streak. When you got there, uh, because obviously, you know, we all know what happened. South Carolina reels off back-to-back seasons where they win eight-plus games, win back-to-back outback bowls. Um, when you got there, could you kind of feel and kind of sense the culture changing, if you will, where it's almost like you could see that coming? Yeah, you could. And, I mean – if you got to know Coach Holtz really personally, I mean, he was a tough guy, okay? He demanded a lot. Uh, it was almost kind of close to military style. He didn't like anybody with facial hair. You had to have short hair. I mean, it was all that kind of stuff. And we used to practice hard. I mean, I'm telling you, guys today don't know how hard practice was back then, you know, 19, you know, 14 to 19 years ago. Uh, it was uh, – he was a very demanding person, uh, which, you know, brung out a lot of good in all of us, even though <laughs> we didn't like it sometimes. Uh, but if you did what you were supposed to do and uh, did what you what was asked of you and studied in the classroom and in the film room, um, Coach Holtz uh, actually softened up pretty good and became like a, you know, almost like a, a good friend to you. Uh, like a, a a great father mentor. For sure. So you mentioned, uh, you know, obviously you're a guy from Bainbridge, Georgia, and, you know, you wanted to go to Georgia. How, how I guess for you personally, how uh, how interesting for you, or were there any mixed emotions? When I know South Carolina, you know, beat Georgia the first two years you were there. Um, what were the emotions like for you in those? And then when you actually got on the field in 2003, 2004, uh, what, what were the emotions like for you taking on uh, taking on your hometown team, I guess? You know, it was it was a, it was a weird deal, but to this day, I still want to beat Georgia more than we more than any other team that we play every year. And you know, I try to defend my case. Everybody's, oh well, 
we got to beat Clemson. I was like, no, if you want to make it to Atlanta, you got to beat Georgia. Mm-hmm. That's what you have to do. So that's why I always tell everybody the Georgia game is really, to me, because they're the top dog. They are the biggest game of the year every year, in my opinion. Uh, you got to beat Georgia, and then you got to manage your way through the rest. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's just weird. I, I love beating Georgia. This year was great. And the weird thing is Kirby Smart's a friend of mine. He played at my high school. His dad was uh, our high school coach at our high school. Uh, so I know Kirby well. And so, obviously, I'm cheering for them the rest of the way because nothing they do will affect South Carolina football. So uh, it, it's weird like that. Um, you know, it's the game I want to win the most, but then when nothing else affects us, obviously I want to see those guys do good because I have high school teammates that are on the staff of Kirby. Uh, I had a bunch of friends play at Georgia, so that's just kind of it is. But I love beating Georgia more than anybody. Yeah, I want to backtrack a little bit because, again, we were talking about Coach Holt, and you sort of mentioned, you know, your interactions with him on the recruiting process and when you got there. I mean, what what were – what sticks out to you is, like, those first interactions with Coach Holt? Because, like you said, he was he was a tough guy. You know, I've had some of your former teammates on here and guys that played for Coach Holt, and, you know, he, he was tough on his players. And it's funny that you mentioned uh, – guys really don't know today because, like, they, they don't even have two-a-days anymore. Like, that's not even a thing. And no. I know you guys, you guys went through that. Um, but w- what were, I guess, some of the first interactions or first impressions from Coach Holtz that really stick out in your mind? Well, you know, he was a straight shooter. He was straightforward. There was no sugarcoating with Coach Holtz on, on the recruiting side of it. Uh, I'll never forget, he just came straight into my parents' house. He says – this is what I demand of my players. They be good people on and off the field. I don't want to hear any bitching. I mean, that's what he said to my mom. <laughs> I was just like, oh, God. So, I mean, he's just very straightforward, no sugarcoating. You know, he was just very direct, no smile. I mean, he was just serious as he can be. Now, when we got off the subject of, you know, the football side of it, he was talking about life a little bit. You know, you get laughs out of him and, he likes to tell us little jokes. Like, Coach was a little bit of a jokester. And then especially after recruiting, he loves to do his little magic tricks. That's, that's like his thing. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, there was, there was a tough side of Coach Holtz, and then there was a soft, like, personal side. So you had the, you had the football side that was just hard-nosed, direct, to the point, and then you had the softer side of Coach Holtz uh, after that. For sure. So, again, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, John, you know, you were part of those teams that won back-to-back Outback Bowls over Ohio State. And, you know, really before Coach Spurrier got there, I mean, that was, you know, right up there with some of the best teams ever at South Carolina, I would say. Probably still does rank among some of the best seasons ever at South Carolina. Just just talk about what that was like. Again, you get there, a program that was struggling. You guys turn it around, get some big wins, beat Ohio State back-to-back years, which it's crazy that Ohio State, the year after you guys beat them, went on to win the national title. But, uh, yeah. you know, what was that feeling like? And, you know, what did it mean for you and you guys just as players in the locker room to achieve such a feat, you know, that really hadn't been done at South Carolina before? Man, I'll tell you, it was awesome. Actually, those two years, even though uh, – well, the first year I got redshirted. Second year I was a redshirt freshman, which that year in 01, uh, starting center got hurt, so I had to go in and play the whole game as a redshirt freshman. So that was a little nerve-wracking against Clemson, and then obviously we beat them that year. But, uh, man, those two years were some of the funnest of my life, and I'm sure some of my my teammates would agree. Um, You know, it's just great. And being a part of something that had the – I guess is the 
best turnaround in college football history or one of them, you know, losing, yep. you know, what, 20 games straight mm-hmm. and uh, then turn around and win in eight games and beat Ohio State and Outback Bowl. And then the next year following it up with um, – um, following it up with, you know, another win because they were they, they were trash-talking big time mm. uh, before that second game, saying payback and all this. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it, it, was, it was a great, great two years during that time. For sure. So, I, I want to ask you about – because I've had a couple of other offensive linemen on the show, and it's always intriguing because I always tell people that – you know, people that – unless you played the position, like I, I'm someone that talks football. There are other people throughout different media outlets that talk football. But talking offensive line play, like unless you actually have been in the trenches, like you're just kind of guessing at some point. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like it, I'll even acknowledge, like, because you just don't know the ins and outs and the inner workings of the offensive line. And, we, you know, we've seen that with South Carolina this year, like throwing guys in and out of there. And I think we saw that a little bit last year as well. But, you know, just talk about – the inner workings of a successful offensive line, like what does it take? And again, I, I just I give you guys a lot of credit because an offensive lineman, there's no stats. You don't really show up in the stat sheet. And the only time people really talk about you is when you mess up. I mean, that's that's a pretty tough life to live. But I mean, just just kind of talk about again, just the inner workings of you know being part of a successful offensive line unit. Yeah, and in my in my opinion, the two hardest positions to come in and play right away is offensive line and quarterback. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. 100% of the two hardest ones. So, you know, being an offensive lineman is a, hard, a lot of hard work because you come in and you come into this program and you're going against grown men who are, you know, 300-pound men that you're not used to blocking in high school. You might have come across one every now and then. But most of the guys you play in the SEC are grown men that are faster than you, uh, you know, just as strong or stronger than you. And, I mean, it was – it was uh, it's a tough deal. And then especially playing center, uh, I mean, you can – you can most coaches will tell you this, playing center is the hardest position. And I play all four positions. But center is definitely the toughest one, uh, especially, um, you know, the center is calling every, every play for the offensive line, the tight end, and communicating with the running back behind them on blocking schemes, especially on passing schemes, you know, communicating with the running back. But the offensive line grind, I mean, you were you were bumping heads every single play, uh, dislocating fingers. I mean, there's all kind of stuff going on. So it's a tough deal. Um, but I loved it. I mean, I loved uh, – I loved, I, loved, I loved playing offensive line. It was great. And um, – but it's just a hard grind. I mean – Literally every day after the game, I felt like I went through a 12-round boxing match. Um, and I was sore the entire day. You get cramps at night while you're sleeping. Charlie horses, uh, you're all beat and bruised up. Most of the time, my forearms had big lumps on them for about three or four days after the game. I mean, so that's just the kind of life it is of an offensive lineman. And you get no glory for it. But the glory is, though – when you're running the ball down somebody's throat and having one of those kind of games and you're seeing the running backs get into the end zone, I mean, that's, that, that's what it's all about. That's, that's what gets us guys excited and pumped up. Yeah, I was going to say, you, you blocked for some talented ball carriers while you were at South Carolina. Was there, 
was there, you know, was there one guy that stands out as like you really liked blocking for that guy, like made you guys life, you know, really easy? I mean, was it Derek Watson, Demetrius Summers? I mean, Pinnock? Like again, I know there were a lot of there were a lot of talented ball carriers while you were there at South Carolina. Well, I guess it's hard to pick a favorite out of all those guys, but a guy that you love blocking for because. It's almost like he had a dirty offensive lineman mindset, and that was Dacus Derman. Mm. And you can ask any of the guys that played on offensive line when I did with him. I mean, he's just a hard-nosed runner. You know, he's not the fastest. He's not the most athletic guy, but he's just hard-nosed. He gets in people's faces. He likes to talk trash. And blocking for a guy like that, he just lays it all out there. I mean, he just lay his body on the line. Um, so I would say he was probably my favorite back to block four out of everybody. For sure. So John, I think it's kind of ironic. You, you mentioned the, uh, the Clemson game a little bit. And again, a guy being from the state of Georgia, what, what, first off, when did it click for you just how big of a game the Carolina Clemson game is to the university of South Carolina and his fan base? Ah, uh, well, you know, that's, that's funny you say that. So going into camp, uh, my first year, uh, as a freshman, um, basically, we had team meetings, and one of the first team meetings we had during football camp, we literally had a 45-minute to an hour review on the Clemson-South Carolina rivalry. They gave us packets of papers. They had all the history of all the games, the crazy stuff that's happened, like the Sigma News mm-hmm. going out dresses Clemson uh, – cheerleaders, bell cheerleaders or whatever, and doing all they did. I mean, just all the crazy stories uh, about what's going on. So, I mean, you kind of find out pretty early, and especially when you got signs everywhere in the locker room that say, beat Clemson. Uh, right. <laughs> pretty pretty much solidifies it. <laughs> For sure. So, I mean, on the field, you it's interesting, John. You really saw it all in the Carolina Clemson rivalry. I mean, you got to win over those guys in 2001 – you know, you've won, you've lost, you were part of the brawl. I mean, you, you literally saw it all in the rivalry. Just, you know, again, talk about your experiences in it because, again, a guy, you know, you being in the trenches, I know you have a different experience than all of us that are just fans. And then, you know, what is the rivalry? What did it mean to you then? And what does it mean to you now being an alum and being somebody, again, that went through those battles? Well, you know, like I said, I found out about it my freshman year, what it really meant. And then you get into it, and my first year, you have the uh, push-off on Andre Goodman, which we should have won that game. Yeah. Uh, blatant push-off. Um, I found out pretty quick after we scored, though, when Derek dove into the end zone and fumbled and Tommy Hill landed on it mm. for the touchdown for us to take the lead with like 50 seconds left. We were getting pelted with water bottles and ice on our sideline <laughs> uh, from the Clemson fans when that happened. So, right, then you kind of, oh, man, this is this is pretty dirty. I hope we get out of here alive. And then, obviously, they wind up do the, the whole push-off and winning. And then, really, in 2001, when I got to go in and play the entire game, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a dirtier, chippier game. It really is. And it, it has been uh, pretty much all the years I played in it and after that, too. I mean, I think you have a lot more local South Carolina guys, but – you know, really, if you go through and look at the starting rosters right now for both teams, there's a lot of guys from Georgia and Florida and North Carolina on those starting rosters for both Clemson and South Carolina. But you just got most of the guys from South Carolina 
And so it's a, it's a, it's a very chippy game. And, uh, even in 01, when I came in and, uh, played the whole game as a freshman, um, I mean, it got pretty dirty out there. So I think it's just a lot more intense than a normal game is. I mean, even the game my senior year up at Clemson, I mean, I, I may have got a little dirty on the first couple of plays, you know, hitting guys a little late and in the back and all this stuff. So it just, I think it just gets your blood pumping a little bit more uh, with it being an in-state rival. And, you know, a lot of people that aren't from this state just don't get it. Uh, I mean – I've seen it all growing up as a kid and followed football my whole life. And, you know, I went to so many SEC games uh, just as a as a recruit. And I went to Georgia games my whole entire life. I went to my fair share of uh, Georgia-Florida games growing up. And this rivalry is more intense than any other rivalry game uh, that I've been to. Um, and I've been to Florida, Florida State. I've been to Georgia-Florida, Georgia-Georgia Tech. Uh, I, you know, I've seen a few good ones, and I think this one is right up there on top with, you know, I can't say it because I've never been to the Auburn-Alabama game, but, I mean, Clemson and South Carolina have played pretty much just as much as anybody else in the entire country. Mm-hmm. So it just it, – it means a lot, and uh, the guys are definitely a little more maybe too amped up uh, mm-hmm. to start a game in this game, uh, and sometimes that can get the best of you. Um, but yeah, that's 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 kind of how it boils down to a player's perspective. For sure, you, you mentioned that 2004 game, John. I don't know if you realize this is actually the 15 year anniversary of that brawl. I was uh, talking to somebody about it today, actually. Um, what I mean, just simply put, I mean, what, what are your memories from that? Because again, the game didn't go the way you wanted. I know it kind of started. It started off chippy with meeting Clemson at the bottom of the hill, and then we obviously know what happened with the brawl and it being Lou Holtz's last game. I mean, just talk about the emotions of that. I mean, just, again, you saw it all and seeing the brawl is, I mean, it was crazy. I mean, what, what are your memories from that? Well, you know, it's funny. Coach Holtz tells us he's stepping down right before the Florida game. You know, we're sitting at six and three on the season. I think we have two games left. Uh, I think we have a really good, which we should have beat. We should have beat Clemson. We were a better team than them last year, but just, Things didn't go the way. And, that, you know, that happens sometimes. Things just don't go your way on game day. Um, but, you know, Coach Holtz, you know, retires. And I think some of the guys, especially some of the young guys that, you know, I won't say have common sense because that's not the right word, but just aren't mature enough to handle stuff like that. Um, so I think some of the guys are a little immature about Coach Holtz saying he was uh, stepping down. I wish he would have done it after the Clemson game. Uh, in my opinion, I even told Coach Holtz this in person. Um, so, but that's what I wish he would have did, and I think it would have worked out better. But just going into the game, I mean, you had a bunch of the young guys just just running down to the bottom of the hill, which I, I was not one of. And you had about half the team go down there, and so it all started there. You knew it was going to get chippy then. Hmm. So once the game gets started, I mean, there's a few dirty things going on on the field. I mean, you can already see it happening. Um, and then I, the whole thing started with the fight was, you know, we were on a pass play. I think it was, I mean, if my memory serves me correct. It was like a fourth and seven or something. Mm. And uh, we call a pass play. and We're blocking. 
Savelle throws an incomplete pass, but he gets hit by like a uh, their second string D end. I don't I don't remember the guy's name, and then he tries to like ram his hand in Savelle's face mask and like poke at his eyes, and then tries to punch him. And Jabari Levy saw it. Well, I didn't see it at the time. I saw the ball come over my head while I was pass blocking, ran down the field. Funny thing was, I saw the ball drop incomplete, and I'm about ten yards downfield. Well, one of the Clemson DBs just kind of goes to give me five or whatever. And then all of a sudden, he takes off sprinting back towards the line of scrimmage. And sure enough, I turn around. There's a DB helmet laying on the ground. So I did kick it. I kicked the helmet pretty far towards our sideline. Run back over to the pile, start trying to pull guys off. And then I was trying to hold guys back. I didn't go down there and get crazy and in the fight because I knew – you know, people were probably going to get thrown out of the game. If You know, you'll get thrown out of the game if something like that happens. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of kept my cool and tried to pull guys off. But obviously it was just like a, it was just like a string of just kept going all the way down to the end zone. And I mean, it was, it was pretty wild. Um, even my mom said they were scared in the stands. Uh, they mm-hmm. said that's how crazy that whole thing was. And I'll never forget this. So uh, Glenn Levine was the head state trooper at the time, uh, one of Coach Holtz's like bodyguards, and he's a pretty big dude. Now I'm I'm six four. Glenn's about the same size as me, six uh, four, uh, not as big, but he's six foot four. And Mo Thompson was coming off the field, and this cop from Clemson grabbed Mo by the back of his uh, like a horse collar, like he grabbed him like a horse collar like that. And I'll never forget, Mo jerked away from him. And then the cop ate like he was going to arrest Mo. And I saw Glenn grab that other cop and shove him and told him to get back. I got this blank. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. That's what happened. So it wasn't just the players. I mean, you had the coaches wanting to fight their coaches. You had the police wanting to fight. If you were a South Carolina Fam, police officer, you were to fight the Clemson police. It was crazy out there. I mean, people don't realize that. But that, that actually happened. Glenn shoved the other cop, and the cop almost fell to the ground. I mean, it was it was pretty wild. It was wild stuff. So that's kind of how it escalated. I mean, that's the way it is. Look, look the other night at, uh, you know, the Browns and uh, the Steelers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you go after my quarterback, the offensive lineman is going to come after you, and that's, that's what we're taught to do. And I don't even think you have to be taught that. Just ask the offensive lineman. Your quarterback's your prized possession back there. So you want to protect that guy at all costs. And uh, so as soon as that Clemson player did what he did to Savelle, I mean, um, it was just like a ticking time bomb because things were already – had been chippy the entire day. Yeah, I was going to say, it's crazy when you look back at it. It's like it's hard to believe the game even got finished after that. <laughs> to, to be, uh, I agree. To be honest, I'm surprised like they went out there and played what was it, like the last four minutes or so. Yeah, it was pretty wild, man. I got a – so, you know, my senior year, you know, I did the SEC media day, and uh, I was kind of – Coach Holtz kind of made me like the, the spokesman of the team. So, afterwards, I did a lot of media stuff, and <laughs> – crazy thing is word gets you know, all, all across the country and before I know it I'm getting a call from CBS studios for a Larry Elder show I don't know if you know who Larry Elder is but he's a big time talk show radio show guy out in Los Angeles so I actually 
get flown out to L.A. and I do a show with Eric Dickerson, uh, John Sally, and Anthony Davis all about violence in sports. And uh, that was a cool thing from it. I'd much rather have gone to a bowl game instead of going out there. <laughs> but uh, it, at least that came out of it. So that's just how nationwide that brawl uh, was for people to ask, you know, somebody from South Carolina football team to come out to L.A. and do a TV show with all those big-time superstars. Yeah, no doubt. So I, I want to move, John. I want to talk current day Gamecock football because I know you're somebody that still follows along with the program. You're a proud alumni, obviously. Uh, Will Muschamp in year four um, of his program. Obviously, like I said, we're speaking during Carolina Clemson week. Uh, Gamecock's obviously a big underdog in this one. It's been a rough season um, in year four, again, four and seven right now. And uh, facing a tall task, and they've done it before. I was talking about this with, again, with somebody else earlier today. You know, they've done it before. They went on the road, beat Georgia, kind of a similar point spread and a similar feeling around the fan base, I think, the week of that game as well. But, again, Gamecock's taking on Clemson. Overall right now, though, taking a step back, I know it feels like everyone right now has an opinion on the state of program, state of the program, the direction it's going. You know, we've seen all these statements from the Board of Trustees to Ray Tanner to Bob Caslin, and kind of everything's finally settled down a little bit now. But just kind of talk about, you know, what you've seen from the Will Muschamp era, you know, going back to the beginning and how you feel about the direction of the program under Will Muschamp and just kind of what he's building right now. Well, you know, looking at it and, you know, going in – you know, I know Muschamp was on the table as one of the coaches to hire, but, you know, Kirby Smart was our first choice. And I think Kirby probably would have took this job from everything I personally know. Mm. Um, and But obviously word got out, you know, hey, Kirby Smart is the favorite for the South Carolina job. And, of course, Georgia just goes ahead and fires Mark Rick after going 10-2, <laughs> mm. which is wild, um, and brings Kirby in. But um, – I know some of the guys that were in the coaching search and, uh, you know, I, I have dinner with him, uh, frequently and he asked a bunch of us former players and while we were all at a dinner, which he's a former player himself, you know, what do you think about Will Muschamp? And I said, I, I thought, and everybody else agreed, think he'd be great for the program. He's a, he's one of the hardest working guys in the business. I mean, nobody will outwork Will Muschamp and that that's just a fact. And if you don't believe it, you can just go ask anybody in college football that knows what must have. And I just thought we needed a young coach because the two past coaches we have are all been at the tail end of their career. Mm. So I think I thought we needed somebody young and fiery to come in who could recruit. And I thought Will Muschamp was a perfect fit after uh, we knew we weren't going in Kirby's direction. So I was happy with the hire. Uh, he comes in, he takes over a complete dumpster fire. Uh, to me, the 2000, um, was it 15 season? Six, yeah, um, fifth, yeah, the three and nine year. The 15, uh, yeah, the three and the three and nine season was to me worse than the 0 and 11 and 1 and 12 season, uh, in my opinion. Uh, it was a complete dumpster fire. Uh, the recruiting got very lazy after we started winning mm. uh, all these games especially after I think about 2011 going into 2012, I just felt like our recruiting efforts got lazy. And, you know, Coach Spurrier admitted to it. He, 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 he owned up to it. So Coach Muschamp comes in and takes over a team. And you know what? I'll be honest with you. That first year Muschamp was here going into the season, I was like, well, we may win three or four games. You know, it's going right. to take time for this to happen. Well, lo and behold, 
we win seven games or six games and we go to a bowl game. Uh, we lose the bowl game, but we put up a great fight against a good, you know, a love 10 and two, I guess, team South Florida mm-hmm. uh, at the time. And, um, you know, you saw some progression. You knew you had young, young players. Uh, you had a few older guys playing, but you had a lot of young players. And then, well, especially at the skill position, we had young players. Yeah, you had, you had freshmen at quarterback, that. receiver, and running back that year. Right, right. So you had young young guys at, at key positions on offense. So you kind of – that's why I kind of thought, yeah, we're going to – three or four wins. It'll probably be similar to, you know, the 2015 season. Well, he was able to pull out a bowl game, so I was very pleased with that. Uh, I thought he overachieved, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Uh, and then in 2017, you know, you finish off the season beating a top 15 Michigan team and win nine, nine games after what he inherited just a season, season two seasons ago. Uh, I thought, man, all right, well, we got something in the works here. Um, and then you go into last year. I was super pumped about last year. I really think now this is honest truth. We win seven games last year. Uh, there's there's three other games that we probably could have should have won, mm. uh, but the fourteen injuries to key defensive players, and it right. was fourteen too. It wasn't mm. it wasn't like three or four. It was fourteen, which blew my mind. <laughs> and then you know you go back and look at his coaches Florida teams, and you're like, man, they had a lot of injuries too, especially on offense while he was there, and that's what kind of lost him his job you know mm-hmm. at florida and so you have that going uh, last year and i don't I, I see why we lost so many games because of so many key players injured on defense so mm-hmm. okay well we're going into this season and we do we we have a ton of talent on that team um that that's over there right now but when you when you you go through this season, obviously the first game we had a full healthy team and mm-hmm. we lost that game that we had no business losing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like we we coached ourselves out of the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. is, in my opinion. And, I, I mean, I was pretty upset, to be honest with you. I was upset with some of the coaching calls, didn't agree with a lot of it. Um, but moving forward past that game, I got over it. I, I was steamed about it for hmm, – Sunday and Monday and a little bit of Tuesday, mm. and then I kind of got over it. Uh, but I'd already heard on Sunday that Jake had got hurt before word got out to everybody else. Mm. So I was like, oh, Lord, like this ain't good. I mean, I know he hasn't played good, and, you know, he didn't play good in the Virginia game, and he didn't play great in the North Carolina game. So oh, you already got people, oh, let's play Helensky or Joyner, and I'm just sitting here thinking, I was like, these people don't know what they're talking about. You, you, I went out to practices during camp that nobody else was at, and Jake Bentley's head and shoulders better than Helensky and Joyner, and, and nothing against them. It's just he's a guy that's been in the system forever, has done it. He's got a big arm, and when he makes smart decisions, he can be as good as anybody in the conference, and that's a fact. Uh, but once I hear we lose him, I'm like, oh, man, the season's going to be rough. Mm. Well, we get to the next game and the Alabama game, and Helensky shows you know great promise. I'm like, all right, well, this may not be too bad. And then uh, um, the the Missouri game was kind of the the, the downfall. Mm. So I look up and we're one and three, and I don't I don't you can, I don't put that game too much on the coaches. I think our defense uh, game plan in that game was spectacular. 
just the offense and and Ryan up owned up to it. He he knew he gave a, he, he he himself gave up 14 points to Missouri in that game. Right. And you know that's kind of what lost the game was just those two plays, the pick six and the pass backwards for them for a touchdown. And you know I was a little upset at that game, but I wasn't really looking at the coaching staff on that game. I'm looking at a true freshman quarterback that everybody expected to just be a miracle. And uh, like I said earlier, quarterback and offensive line, two hardest positions to come into play as a freshman. And anybody will tell you that. But then we beat Georgia, and we go through that. And I was like, all right, it's on the up and up. And then we stumbled down the stretch. And the offense has looked pretty terrible. But, you know, I've been telling everybody, I was like, well, I don't know what you expect when your two best wide receivers have missed five games. You have a true freshman quarterback. Your starting running back has missed four games. Your pretty much co-starting running back has missed the past, what, two, two and a half games, I guess it yep. is. Yep. And you've had yeah. offense alignment. The Tennessee game, when Hutcherson went down, mm-hmm. um, man, that, that hurt bad in the second half. We had pressure off the edge the entire yeah, losing, time. Losing Wanham, right too. I, I think losing Wanham hurt a lot, too. Yeah, that one yeah. hurt, too. So – here, here's what I say, and this is just my opinion, and a lot of other guys who played, and actually guys who coach right now in college football and are high-profile high school coaches that I'm friends with. It's not the coach. I mean, there's some stuff that there's some play calling stuff that can happen, and I, I do think there needs to be a change on the offensive play calling. They need to look at that. I, I will say that. I think that's something that is going to be looked at and evaluated. Um, but, you know, you hear all the fire must champ stuff. You've got to give a guy five to six years. I've always said it. If you give a guy four years or three years and you want to fire him because he has one bad season during those, during those years, because all the other years except for last year with all the injuries, I mean, they've pretty much been – the first two years were above expectations in my opinion. Mm. Last year was a little bit downfall. I thought we would win eight or nine games again. Uh, but we wound up winning seven, but we decimated by injury on defense. And this year it's been not so good, but that's what I say to everybody. I don't know what you expect when you have a bunch of key players out on offense hurt and you have the number one toughest schedule in the country and you have a true freshman quarterback being thrown into the fire with a lot of backups with a lot of starters hurt. So that's what I say. I don't know what they expected. Uh, you know, I I did expect to win at state and maybe give uh, A and M a run for their money, but you know, after after losing those couple of games, um, the Tennessee game, I kind of figured five and seven because we'd beat App State, but mm. you know who knows. But I don't. I think Muschamp needs needs at least one, maybe two more years, and that's just my opinion because you can't ever build a consistent program if you're hiring and firing a coach every four years you just you'll you'll never get to where you want to be mm-hmm. it, it just it, it's a proven fact so you have to let somebody stay on now after next year if 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 you know there's not seven or eight wins in the win column then you take a serious look at it um but as of this year i think hey let's just go out play play loose play free uh balls to the wall uh, throw everything we can in our playbook at Clemson and, and, and hope the hell we win. Um, 
and that's just what I see. But I do think there may need to be a few changes here and there, uh, especially you got to find out why 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 are we getting injured so much? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's yeah. that's a serious question. So th- that needs to be evaluated. It also needs to be evaluated. Why has our offense gone just down the tubes? Um, you know, the second half of the season, really. Uh, it's just gone down the tubes. It has not been good. I mean, it's been good, you know, playing against the Kentuckys and the Vandys and, you right. know, all that. In but, spurts, but not, not enough consistency, for sure. Right, yeah. right, right. So, you have to reevaluate that. And I know Coach is going to do all that, and he's going to try and get it figured out. So, does Muschamp need to go anywhere? No. He, he needs to be our coach. I think he's the right guy. Uh He's just going to have to right the ship a little bit and make some changes. Uh, but that's that's just kind of my opinion on it. And uh, I hope people see it that way and see it for what it is. And it's hard to win when you have the toughest schedule in the conference or in the nation and freshman quarterback and banged up star offensive players. Um, I hope Brian Edwards is able to go this week. Mm. I'm hearing some rumors he is, but we'll we'll, we'll see how that pans out. Yeah, John, I was going to say, I, I think you make a lot of great points. Obviously, it's not, a, it's not a secret what side of things I've been on this season, but you make a lot of really good points. I, you kind of hit on something I wanted to ask you as far as, you know, I, I think – I don't even think there's anything Brian McClendon could do this weekend to save his job. I, I just don't – you know what I'm saying? Like, I think they have – they're almost forced to make a change at this point because they've got to figure out something with the offense. And But – you talked about the injuries. I know that's something that my, myself and then a lot of other South Carolina fans are really worried about. Because like you mentioned, it was at Florida, too. Like, do you think there needs to be a change with the strength and conditioning coach? Like, because, again, I mean, it's – you know, you talk about the injuries, but that, it's just something where it's, it keeps coming up. It's going to be hard to win football games, whether it be next year, the year after, the year after. Like, if your best players keep getting hurt, I mean, you're just – it's going to be real tough to win football games. I mean, do you feel like they need to make a change as far as maybe the way – or their strength and conditioning coach, the way they are taking care of their bodies? I mean, what does, what would you think needs to change? Well, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus and say, yeah, the guy needs to be fired. But it definitely it 100% needs to be looked at. That That is a 100% fact. And does look that mean hiring somebody else? Maybe. Uh, does look at maybe changing some of the ways, maybe go visit some other teams, with, which coaches actually do during the offseason mm-hmm. yeah. to get ideas from other teams. They do. So do they need to go visit other teams and other coaches and say, you know, what are y'all doing, you know, uh, in your strength and conditioning program? Stuff like that. Something, something's got to change. I'm, I'm just telling you. It's either, it's either that or Coach Muschamp has – just the worst luck with injuries in the history <laughs> of football. It, it, it's one of right. those two things. And, you know, injuries have cost him his last job. Mm, and right. it's it's close to costing him this job. Right. Uh, I mean, it really is. Uh, well, yeah, because like you're saying, I mean, if, you, if you have injuries next year and you fail to meet expectations or let's just say make a bowl game, like it, that – that injury excuse is only going to last. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you said, I mean, it's it's only going to last so long. I mean, it, it can cost you your job. Well, you know? I think this is the last year of injury excuse. Right. Uh, yeah. That's just my opinion. Yeah. Uh, if it happens again next year, well, right. like I said, five five year plan. Right. You hear I'll things love- in business. Hey, five year plan. So right. I think uh, I think the five year plan is 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 where it stands, and I, I think coach needs to to be around uh, to keep this thing going and. Let's see what happens. 
Right. It, I, again, I think you have a ton of great insight, John. I want to ask you, because again, there's a lot of fans listening to this right now that, uh, you know, Gamecock fans, I would say, are some of the most optimistic people in the world just because you can't keep showing up week after week with some of the things that have – like just throughout the history of Gamecock football, they're loyal, right? They sold out the stadium when it was 0-11. Like you, you, you have to have some sort of deranged optimism, I feel like, to like keep showing up after all that. But there's a lot of people right now that are looking for optimism going into next season with Will Muschamp as head coach. Like what would you say is the number one thing South Carolina fans should be pulling the most, their most optimism from or should be most optimistic about? Would it be the fact that there will probably be wholesale changes in the staff, the fact that the recruiting – you know, it's granted, with everything going on, the recruiting is still pretty good. I mean, top 20 class right now, and you're still in the competition for, you know, Jordan Burks, number one recruit in the country, and a couple other big-time guys. I mean, should it be the fact that Ryan Linsky's returning or the fact that – you know, you think that you should think or believe that Will Muschamp is going to kind of finally turn into the guy that we all hope he is. Like, where where would you say, if you're speaking to South Carolina fans, where should that main source of optimism come from? And maybe where does it come from for you, in your opinion? Well, the way I look at it is, I know the kind of guy Coach Muschamp is. I've hung out with him several times. I've heard him talk. He's talked to us former players a lot. He's actually, to me, been great for the program. Uh, especially to the former athletes, but you look at you look at our roster. We we have a lot of young talent. I mean, we really do. I mean, I know we're losing a couple of guys off the D line, but I mean, if you look at the young guys that we have that's stepping up behind them, I mean, you've got to be optimistic about those guys. I mean, mm-hmm. losing Kenlaw is going to be going to hurt, but I think you put you know Zach in there an, another year in the weight room. He's got a chance to be great, and as long as and the other guys that we have uh, at the defensive backs, I mean, they're all young guys. So I think you look at that. Obviously, we know Coach Muschamp's a defensive guy. So I think you look there one. So barring injury next season, I'm pretty excited about what we can develop during the off season and carry over to next season. And we should have a pretty damn good defense, in my opinion, uh, going into next year. And defense has been good this year. It's just yeah, the offense. I was going to say, give credit where it, it has been improved this yeah. year. I think all South Carolina fans yeah. can at least acknowledge that for sure. Yeah, 100%. I mean, those guys can't play 90 plays every game and expect to win the game. So, mm. uh, let's get real on that one. But, uh, but then you look on the offensive side of the ball, man, I'm super excited uh, about our young running backs and the, the young one that's committed to us. Uh, so, I think you look at that. Uh, you lose a couple key pieces on the offensive line, but – I still like the young guys that we have on the offensive line. Um, and I think our receivers are going to continue to get better. I think Shy Smith next year has a uh, a great chance of being one of the top receivers in the league. And then quarterback, who knows? Is Jake mm-hmm. staying? Is uh, right. he going? Um, you know, that's, that's a mystery. Uh, we'll probably find out in the next uh, seven to 14 days. Um Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, even if Jake comes back, man, I mean, I know people get aggravated with him in some games where he's had a lot of interceptions. But the guy is a gamer. I mean, he is a really good player. He loves this university. He's a great leader to his teammates. So, I'm all for him coming back. I really am. Uh, but even if he doesn't, I think Halinski does have a bright future. I know a lot of people are down on him, you know, the past four or five games just because – he hasn't played well, and, 
you know, that injury in Missouri, you know, that, I think that week set him back a little bit and maybe set him back the entire rest of the season. Um, but I think there's a lot of pieces in place to be excited about. Now, if we can just lose the injury bug and get somebody called in place, you know, I don't even – even if Brian's not the OC next year, I still see Brian maybe being on the staff uh, and maybe somebody else goes. Uh, who, who that's going to be, I have no idea. But I think Brian's just too big of a recruiter. Um, and he's a great wide receivers coach. I mean, he's as good as anybody in the country. He really is a wide receiver. Um, so if we can figure that the, those things out, figure out the offense and figure out the injuries, I think that's going to make for a great season. But I think fans need to look at what's on the roster, what's coming in, and maybe on December 19th we get another little present too. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be nice. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think that's what to be optimistic about. I mean, we have we have players. I mean, you know, I look at the – I like to compare players every game. I do it just about every Friday. I like to see where the guys were playing from, uh, what their recruiting rankings were, you know, compared to our guys. I mean, we're pretty even. We're pretty even across the board in just about every game except for the Alabama, Georgia, and the Clemson game. Mm-hmm. I mean, everywhere else. Well, I will say this. Tennessee, I didn't realize it. They had four and five-star players starting at every position. Mm-hmm. People don't realize that, um, which I think Tennessee is going to be tough going forward, by the way. Um, yeah. Butch he, Jones recruited well there. He just – and that's probably why he lost his job because he recruited well and they didn't win. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. Exactly. I think Pruitt's got that thing going the right way. But just just looking at that, though, the guys we have on our roster and the defensive-minded coaches that we have, we, if we just find that offensive piece, I'm just the, we got a chance to be a pretty darn good team. Um, you know, I would love to see at least eight wins next year. I think eight wins, most chance good. I think seven, he's probably good. But if it's just another mediocre mm-hmm. six wins, go to the – belt bowl he's probably done right for sure so all right john well i appreciate it one last question before i let you go i want to go back to you personally on the field for south carolina when you look back on your career in garnet and black obviously you're someone you can tell just from the uh the tone of your voice you love the university obviously loved your time there but when you think back you had to pick one your favorite memory as a gamecock beating clemson and i won going in and playing the whole game as a freshman well redshirt freshman um, that's my favorite one. Hands down. Easy. That's easy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I figured. I just figured out to ask. Why not? Well, John, hey, really do appreciate it, man. Really appreciate the insight and everything. And, you know, obviously it was a pleasure to watch you play in the Garnet and Black and, you know, appreciate everything you're doing, obviously, for the university and staying connected. And uh, thank you for taking the time as well. We'd love to do it again. Talk some shop. Talk some ball. Some, uh, talk some ball again soon sometime. All right, Chris, man. I appreciate it. All right, perfect. So for John Strickland, I'm Chris Phillips. Appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on an episode of the Spurs Up Show.